chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is what it says. And you are dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, uh, for those who may not have been following, uh, Pastor John is on sabbatical for about four more weeks. And because he won't be able to fill the pulpit, uh, he has asked his friends to come and guest speak for the next four weeks. And if you've been a regular NCF, you will probably know the faces that come by. And today we have uh, Pastor James Park coming all the way from Jersey in the traffic and the rain. So please let's welcome him. Uh, what a round of applause that comes up. Hi, everyone. Uh, hope everyone is doing well, and I hope everyone staying safe and uh, just uh, the weather coming here today I know it wasn't the most ideal of circumstances uh, it's definitely a pleasure to be here I think it's my first time actually being here at NCF on a Sunday uh, without Pastor John and, uh, and his family so that was a, a little different than what I'm used to but um, I'm glad to be able to kind of be able to speak uh, while he's away and uh, it's obviously always a joy and a privilege to see you all and to be able to worship with you so I'm uh, definitely glad to be here um, yeah, today we're going to be in Ephesians 2, like the passage we read. But before I go into the passage, uh, let, me, let me pray for us first. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to come together to, to worship you, to just give, to sing songs of praise, uh, to be in your word, to confess our sins, to, to hear assurance of pardon. Um, we, we thank you that we have this privilege to come together as the people of God, as the church of Christ, to be able to fellowship, to be able to worship, to be able to rest upon Christ. And we pray today that as we continue to worship, as we delve into your word, Lord, that you would use your word and you would just convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would move us so that we may respond with just worship of you. And we pray, Lord, that... Uh, as we worship you, that we would just be truly blessed in our hearts and that we could truly uh, just have a wonderful, a blessed time today in you. Uh, we do thank you. We praise you. We honor you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're in a very famous passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, uh, especially the, the, the later verses, verses 8 and 9 in particular. 
Uh, for by grace you have been saved uh, through faith, it's not your own doing. Uh, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Uh, probably very familiar to many of you. If you grew up in the church, I'm not sure how many of you grew up in the church, I would think uh, that many of you may have even memorized uh, those two verses. Sorry, should I put it closer? Yeah, sorry about that. I Usually when I get here, Pastor John does this for me, and uh, it's been a little bit of a struggle. I don't know why it's hard, but is that, be- is that better? No? Closer to me? Yeah, you would think it would bend, but... All right. Hopefully that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, I remember growing up memorizing uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, I think I memorized it in like, the NIV, the ESV, the New King James Version, and just no end. And it's a famous passage because it's, it has great words. Uh, this Ephesians 2 here in general... Uh, is well known because just the just the beauty of the words in here, just a reminder of who we are in Christ. Uh, I remember one time, maybe about ten years ago or so, I was doing a inner city uh, mission trip, I think, and I saw I saw a person with a T-shirt and it said swag. And I don't know, I mean, it's probably not anymore, but I remember b- b- back in those days that was a pretty common term people would use. So I was interested to see because he looked like a Christian T-shirt, so I was interested to see what it said, because it had little letters underneath it, and it said underneath the word swag, which was in big letters, it said, saved with amazing grace. And I was like, oh, I like that. Now, I remember thinking, if I ever do another youth retreat, maybe make that the theme, right, the swag, right? Like, saved with amazing grace. And and we we use terms like that, and we think about Ephesians 2 because of just how beautiful the message is in this passage. But today, I want to come at this passage, and I'm not sure if you would ever have come at it in this way, but I want to ask a question, and it's the title of the message, really, Who Am I? And the question I have going through this passage today is, what is my identity? Right? Who am I? And it's, it's, an, it's an important question, right? Because I think my identity definitely um, informs the rest of my life. My identity informs my purpose. My identity informs, you know, the different roles I play in my life. My identity just informs, it shapes how I, where I fit into this world, how I should behave and live in this world, how I deal with relationships, my purpose in my life. And so I think the identity is a good question. And so I want to ask that question, who am I? What is my identity? Uh, and before we get into that, I guess to define it, how would you even define the word identity? Right? When you think of the word identity, just think it's just me, right? Who I am is my identity, right? Just definition of who I am. Uh, One pastor put it this way. I like the way he put it. He said, your identity is a sense of self and a sense of worth, right? A sense of self and a sense of worth, right? It's got to be, it's a stable self-understanding of who I am. It's got to be a core. It's got to be a a durable core that you identify as yourself. Because, you know, obviously we have different hats that we wear. We have different roles that we play every day, you know, whether it be a job, my job, my family, at my school, with my friends, right? And what is the core of who I am that identifies me in every situation? So my identity would be a sense of self, right? Who am I at my core? A stable self-understanding, but also a sense of worth. Do I feel good about it? Right? What makes me feel significant? What makes me confident of my values? Right? So my identity would be a sense of self and a sense of worth. Now, traditionally, if you think about traditional cultures, 
my identity would be based upon my role, right? So if you think about traditional cultures, um, and you know, even today I would say maybe not so much in the West, but you know, in definitely many cultures, my identity would be based upon my role, my role in my family, my role in my society, my role in my community, right? And so traditionally, my role would determine who I am. It's not so much about me as in my individu individualism, but it's about how do I fit in into the bigger structure? How do I fit in into my family? How do I fit in into my community? And so if you would ask somebody in a traditional culture, who, who are you? You might say, I am a father, right? I am a son, right? I'm a daughter, right? I'm a mother, or you know, um, you know, I'm a king, right? I'm a, you know, I'm a servant, right? And so your role that you played would define who I am, and then it would be a matter of how good am I in fulfilling that role that would give me a sense of worth. So my identity would be the role that I play. So I think of that, and an example of that would be a very famous movie, uh, Disney movie, right, called Lion King. I'm sure we've all seen it. Maybe the 90s version, right, when it first came out as a cartoon, maybe the more recent version, or maybe you saw it on Broadway, right? But, you know, in the movie The Lion King, one of the things that we see is Simba, right, who's the main character, his father dies, right? Mufasa dies, and Simba obviously kind of runs away, and he does this whole, like, Hakuna Matata thing, right? I want to live, like, a worry-free life. I don't want any responsibility. I just want to do me. And so he's doing his whole Hakuna Matata thing with those, like, two new friends that he made, right? And what happens? One night, his dead father, Mufasa, appears to him. It's, like, kind of eerie, right? Like, and he comes to Simba, and Simba's like, like, whoa, what's going on? And his father says to Simba, uh, I forget the exact words, but I think it was something like this. He says, you are more than what you have become. Right? He's saying, really what he's saying is, here you are just running around, right, like a fool, saying Hakuna Matata, but you're more than this. Why? Who are you? You are a king, right? Simba has a role. It's not to be, you know, just a guy running around doing whatever he wants. You are a king, who is supposed to lead your, right, your fellow, you know, lions and animals and everybody else out there, right? You are a king. You are meant to rule. You have a role to play, and you're not doing it. So he's pretty much saying, be who you are. Be who you were born to be. Fulfill the role that you have. And that's a very traditional way of identity. Who are you? You are a king. Now go do it, right? And so traditionally, you know, my sense of identity comes from the role that I'm given, and my sense of worth then comes from how well do I do, I do it. But if you think about a more modern approach, right, as we, in the world that we live in, it's not really like that, right? It's not really a traditional sense of role that you play. A more modern approach would probably be something like this. My identity happens when I find what my deepest desires are and when I assert those desires, right? So I am who I want to be, right? I have to be myself. I have to follow my dreams and my desires. So I'm going to define my own destiny. Follow your dream. Fulfill who you are. I become myself as I follow my dreams and desires. Right? So I have a dream. I need to acquire it or I need to achieve it, or I have to really find my authentic self, right? That's right. 
we, we say those words like that, right? We say, I need to find myself. I need to figure out who I am. So who, what is my identity? It's not a role that is given. It's something that I have to find for myself. Uh, giving another Disney example would be something like, like Frozen. Right? I don't know if you get that really famous song, very catchy song, right? Let it go. It's funny because I realized all these years I used to, you know, I used to tell people, hey, let it go. And I used to sing that song as a joke. And I realized I'm singing it all wrong. Like I'm saying let it go, like let go of your problems. But if you listen to that song, it's, it's about let it go. Like, I don't want the roles and the responsibilities. I don't want other people telling me what to do and pigeonholing me, right? It's saying, I'm going to just let it go. I'm going to be who I am, who I want to be. I'm just going to be me, in a sense. I want to let it go. And if you watch a movie like that, it, that, that's kind of glorified, right? It's heroic almost. I'm not going to let you tell me who I am. I'm going to find who I am within me, and I'm going to be me. And I think a lot of times we tend to be trapped in kind of these ways, especially if you're from a more traditional upbringing, right? You, you kind of have this part of you that says, I, I have to play a role. I have to be a good son, right? To be a good daughter. I have to be a good you know, whatever, and I, I want to fulfill this role, but at the same time, there's a part of me that says, I want to fulfill the dreams and the desires. I want to assert it. I want to be who I am. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to find myself in a sense. And I think we kind of maybe go back and forth, right? You know, in my family, I you know we only have two kids, actually, but I just happen to be the oldest, and I happen to be the only son. So I remember growing up, you would hear, I would hear that a good amount of times, right? Oh, you're the oldest son. I'm not going to be the only son, right? But you are the oldest son, so you have to do this. There's a certain pressure that is put on you, a certain expectation, right? Because you have a role to play. So there's also a sense of, this is my dream. This is my desire, and I want to fulfill it. And it's all about, I guess, achieving it, right? Whether traditionally or more modern approach. But, here, but here's the question. If that's what the world, let's say, is saying, Am I going to let the world determine who I am? Or am I going to let God determine who I am? Right? Because I think a lot of times we do let the culture around us, we let the people around us determine my sense of identity. And, I, and I'm controlled by that. However, if I'm a child of God, if I'm a Christian, right, I don't want people I don't want the culture. I don't want the world defining who I am. I want God to define who I am. So then biblically, who am I? What is my identity? And I think when we look at this passage, we see an example of a biblical sense of my identity. Who does God say who I am? And there's really three things I want to say today. Um, one would be who I was, right, who we were, who we were. Secondly, what God has done. And then lastly, who we are now in Christ. Right? It's pretty, pretty simple. Who we were, what God has done, and now who we are now in Christ. And if we think about our identity, just biblically speaking, what we, we're going to see is that we are far, far worse than we could ever have imagined. And yet, right, we are far better than we could ever even hope for. But, the, but I want to start with who we were. If you look at the first three verses in, the pa in this passage, it's depressing, 
right? It starts by saying, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were dead. Now, I want you to understand that, right? It's not, it doesn't say you were sick. It doesn't say you were dying. It doesn't say you were really ill, almost at death. It says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's important because there's no hope. There's no hope for a dead person, right? You know, if you're, if you're in the hospital and you're dying, right, the doctors, the nurses, whoever's there is going to do their best to try to, you know, bring you back, right, to try to help you, to try to heal you. But once you die, that's it. You know, I remember once um, when I was in college, I, I went to Binghamton uh, University, and I remember, I, you know, I, I, I hate running, but I don't remember why I did this. I remember one day my roommate and I, we decided just to run around the campus. And, you know, he was like six foot tall, and I'm not as tall as he is, right? And he was in better shape than I was. So he was like way in front of me, and I was trying to just catch up, I was lagging behind, right? And then I noticed that he stopped. And so I was like, oh, he must be getting tired. So I was kind of happy, right? So I was like, I'm going to catch up to him. I caught up to him, and I realized he was looking onto the street. And so I looked at the street with him, and I realized what happened was, you know, a little squirrel got run over by a car. And so he was, he was looking at the squirrel that, like, at the back of its I guess, body, I guess at the bottom part, was kind of, it's like, it, it would have moved. So it was using his two front arms just to, like, get to the, to the sidewalk. And then it just, like, died. And, you know, I'm no squirrel lover or anything like that, but I was, like, really sad. It, like, really bothered me. And so I looked at my roommate and I said, we, we should call somebody. We got to do something. This is awful. And he just kind of looked at me and said, it's dead. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? Like, it's dead. There's nothing you can do. And I remember, like, it was this weird moment. I was thinking, you're right. And again, like, I was just really sad about it. It was just an animal, but something about it made me just really sad. And it was this realization, there's nothing you can do for this thing because why? It is, it is dead. And the Bible is saying you were dead dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. And the idea is that we are spiritually dead. We are separated from God. We are alienated from God. We have no relationship with God, nor do we even want any kind of relationship with God. And so, which obviously means, you know, we have no hope. And so the Bible is saying, you are dead. You have no hope. You have no connection to God. You are spiritually dead. You're not just sick. You're not just dying. You are completely dead. But not only are you dead, if you look at the passage, it says you're following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So not only are you dead, you are disobedient, you are enslaved to sin. So what is Paul saying so far, he's saying you were dead. This is who you who you were. You were you are a sinner. You are disobedient. You are enslaved to sin. You have no way of getting out of your sins. And then it even says in, a little bit later in verse three that you were a child of wrath. He said in your nature you were children of wrath. So he says you were pretty much he's saying you're condemned. You're doomed. Your future has no hope because you're dead. You're a sinner, you're disobedient, and you are a child of wrath. You're condemned for all eternity. And this is true. You know, I see a lot of little kids in here, and, you know, my kids are really young. You know, they're only one and three. And 
it's, it's amazing how sinful they are, right? <laughs> like, I remember thinking, you know, I didn't teach you to be that selfish. I didn't teach you to be, you know, one of the things that, you know, it kind of makes me laugh, but it makes me sad is, you know, my daughter who's three, just the way she treats her brother who's one. You know, she, you know she, she, she sees him enjoying a toy or enjoying something, and it just bothers her. And I'm like, why does that even bother you? Like, it's a toy that she, has, she doesn't touch. She doesn't even care about. But because her brother is playing with it, all of a sudden, she needs that toy. But she sees him having fun, and so she needs to do something to disturb that fun, to bother it, right? It's, it's sin. You just see it. I remember one time there was a pastor at a church that I was serving at, and he had kids about my kids' age now. I think his son was a little over one, one or two, and his daughter was maybe three or four. And I remember everybody thought the son was really cute. So the daughter, I think, got really upset about not getting enough love. So what she did was she took her brother into a different room and closed the door and walked out. And so she's, you know, so she's, everybody's like, oh, he's playing. And, everybody's, and started, people started wondering, where's, 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 where's the boy? Where's your brother? She's like, I don't know. Right? And then later we hear him crying, right? It's in the, he's in the room. And I'm like, man, you're such a sinner. Right? You're so little, but you're such a sinner. No one taught you how to do this. No one taught you to be sinful. But that's who we are. Right? We're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but also we're disobedient. We're enslaved to sin. We're born like that. We're just sinful. And because God is holy, He can't stand sin. So we are children of wrath. His wrath will be poured out upon us. There's no hope. And we are to be condemned, to be doomed. And so this is who we were. It's sad. It's terrible. But if you look at verse 4, everything changes, right? So my first point is who we were. Secondly, what God has done. Verse 4 is like a turning point. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Those two words right there in verse 4, but God, amazing words. So what is Paul doing for three verses? Right, He's setting us up, showing us how terrible a predicament that we have been in. And then he says, but God. He's saying, you had no hope. You were dead. You were enslaved to sin. You're disobedient. You're children of wrath. No hope. And yet, God came into the middle of this terrible predicament that you were in. And because God is rich in mercy, because of His love with which He loved us, even though we're dead, even though we have no hope, He has made us alive with Christ by grace. His grace, you have been saved. That's amazing. That's amazing. Right? Again, I know I'm doing a lot of Disney stuff here today, right? I'm not sure why, but I think of Beauty and the Beast. We're the beast. We're ugly. We're sinful. We're nasty, right? There's nothing good about me. And God is beauty. Right? He's coming into my life in order to transform my life. I had no hope. I was dead. I was enslaved to sin, disobedient, child of wrath. But God comes into my life in my deadness. And because of His mercy, because of His love, He shows grace into my life to transform our lives. But how does He do that? How does that grace happen? And 
Hopefully we all know this. What does God the Father do? He sends His one and only Son into this world for His people. The Bible says He would not spare His own Son, but He gave up His only Son. You know, when I was younger, I would hear that and it would move me, right? The Father gives up His Son. And then when you have your own children, it takes a different meaning. Because I I thought about it. If somebody offered me a million dollars, a billion dollars, I don't know, whatever amount of money, and said, can I have your kid? I would be like, no. If somebody said to me, if you just give up your kid for any reason, you could do a lot of good in this world, I, I still don't think I could do it, right? Like, you just love your kids so much. You know, you look at your child. You know, my, my son has been sick a lot this month. Um, he's, a, he's a pandemic baby. He stayed home too long, I think. His immune system is not very strong. So he went to daycare, and next thing I know, he's just constantly sick, right? And it's, it's just heartbreaking. You see this little guy, and, you know, he's got the, the, the nose stuff, you know, right? And, I mean, he's fine. He's better now. But before, like, he had, you know, nose, the coughing, the fever, and just he just looks miserable. And you're just like, man, you just feel awful for this kid, right? And your heart breaks because you love your child so much. But to imagine the father sending his one and only son into the world so that his son could die for his people. I mean, that's like crazy. And then you think of who Jesus is, what Christ has done. What did Christ do? Christ. He went to the cross. He came into this world as a man. He lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and he bore our sins upon the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death upon a cross. He was forsaken by his own father. I mean, he does all of this because of his love for us. And if you really think about the cross, if you think about what Jesus has done, who he is, what he has done, it is an incredible thing. And it is because of Christ's sacrifice. It's because of his work on the cross that we can say, right, by grace we have been saved. Right? We have done nothing. Right? We are, it's not a result of my works. I've done nothing. It is what Christ has done for us that has completely transformed our lives. And so we look at this passage, and what do we see? Who we were, hopeless, children of wrath, disobedient, sinners, dead. But what has God done? He has, the Father has sent His own Son into the world for us. Christ has gone to the cross and died the death that we have deserved so that when we put our faith in Him, we could be forgiven, we could be saved, we could have eternal life, that we could become children of God. We go from a sinner to a perfect, righteous son and daughter of God because of His grace. And that's amazing. And so we see who we were. We see what God has done. But then now we think about, well, because of that, who am I? Who we are now in Christ. And we look at verse 8, 9, and 10. Famous verses. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, you know, one of my favorite professors in seminary, he said this to us once. He said, way too often, we read verses 8 and 9. He said, we we leave out verse 10. And he was like, you know, you probably shouldn't read verses 8 and 9 without verse 10 because those three verses kind of come together. 
And who am I in Christ? By grace, we have been saved through faith. So I'm a sinner, obviously, who is saved by grace. Right? That sounds simple enough. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And if you really think about that for a second, before I even go, go on from there, that in and of itself is incredible. Knowing who I was, the sinner, the dead, child of wrath that I was, that I am saved, not because of what I did, but because of what Christ has done for me, that's amazing. If I really understand that, I, get, I should get goosebumps and just be like, whoa, I'm a sinner with no hope, and I've been, my life has been completely transformed by His grace because of what Christ has done. And then in verse 10, for we are His workmanship. So I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I have now become his workmanship. That word workmanship in the Greek pretty much means a work of art. So what it's saying really is I am God's masterpiece. Think about that. I'm a sinner, and I am saved by grace, so now I have become God's work of art, his masterpiece. You know, I'm not the most artistic person in the world, right? Um, I don't pretend to be. But when I, you know, when I go to a museum, you know, and I see works of art, paintings and sculptures, I am actually pretty impressed. I'm actually more impressed when I go with an art student or somebody who knows what they're talking about, and they tell me, like, the history behind it and why it's so, you know, beautiful and whatever. And, and I'm just like, wow. Right? You get, you get impressed. You get so blessed. Or if you hear good music, right, you just listen to the music and you know you're like wow that's so well done right and, and you just appreciate it and you're like that's a masterpiece we are God's masterpiece now if you really understand that that should change our mind about who we are right because the only opinion in the universe that matters says you are a sinner right you were filthy, dirty, you had no hope, you were a child of wrath, but because of what Christ has done for you, you are now beautiful. You are now my masterpiece. You know, um, doing ministry for years, I had a chance to talk to a lot of different people, and one of the things I've heard a lot from a lot of people, you know, whether I was working with youth or college students or, like in, or adults, um, is a lot of people have father issues. Right, especially a lot, a lot of Asians, right? There's a lot, a lot of father issues, and and some of the reasons for that is because a lot of fathers they don't they didn't do a good job of saying I love you, they didn't do a good job of showing love and and showing care. Like they probably did it in their own way, right? But they weren't very verbally well good at communicating. So you know, I would hear stories like, man, when I was young, I would bring a hundred, and my dad wouldn't even say I'm proud of you. He would just grunt like, mm. <laughs> well, what is that, right? Or you get like an A minus and you'd be like, what's that line? Right? Like, why is that there? And you know, and, and you know, there are people that, that just craved for approval. They wanted to hear, I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, I have the opposite problem. I'm telling my kids I love them all the time. Sometimes I kind of wonder, do I cheapen these words? Right? Because I'm always saying, you know, daddy loves you. But I feel like that's I'd rather go that way, right, than the other way. And, you know, there are people who, because they have some such deep father issues, when they finally hear their father say something like, I'm proud of you. Great job. 
They're, like their lives change, right? They just light up because they've been craving that. They've been wanting that their whole life. And that's a human father. But our heavenly father looks at us and he says to his people, because of what my son has done for you, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you, when you trust in him, you have become completely transformed. You have become forgiven, saved, a perfect, righteous child of God. So you are now my masterpiece. You are my work of art. And when I know that, when I understand that, that changes everything. I don't need self-esteem. I have God esteem. What do I care what anybody else thinks of me when God, says, you're my child. You're my work of art. And so when I think about my identity, that who am I? I am a sinner, but I didn't just stay there, saved by grace, who is now God's work of art, his workmanship, his masterpiece. But with that identity comes a call. Verse 10 continues, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is Paul saying? He's saying you don't do good works to achieve your identity, right? That's what the world says. If you're traditional, traditionalist, right, fulfill the role that you have. Be a good son, be a good father, whatever, right? And just do it well and so you can find a sense of worth. Or, you know, find your own identity, find your authentic self, and, and do it well so you can feel good about who you are. But you've got to achieve it. That's actually kind of crushing if you think about it. The gospel says, no, you have no hope. You can't achieve anything, but God has done it for you. You are a sinner saved by grace. You are now God's workmanship, his work of art. And you don't do good works to achieve that. No, God has done it for you. It is all done for you by his grace, right, through faith. But because you have found that identity in Christ now, what are you created for? You're created in him to do good works, right? I want to live a life that brings glory to God. Lord, I say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I am saved by grace. I am not your masterpiece. So now I want to live a life that truly honored you, that truly glorified you. I want to love you. I want to love my neighbors, and I want to do good works to show who you are. I want to love with the love of Christ. I want to proclaim the word of Christ, and I want to live a life that truly brings honor and glory to your name. And if I understand who I am in Christ and what he has done for me, that should bubble up inside of me. That should rise inside of me, and I should have a desire to live a life of good works for His glory. Let me kind of try to bring this point home with this. Um, I remember when I first came, you know, to to this country. You know, I was born in Korea. I came here when I was six, and you know, we we moved to St. Louis. That's where we first went, and I didn't speak very. I didn't speak English too well. And I remember playing with a bunch of little kids on the street, and, and a car came, right? You know, so, you know, you, you get off the street, right? And so we got off the street, but this one little girl, I mean, she was like maybe three or four, I forget how old she was, but she, like, just started crying and didn't move. And so I, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. I, that, that's the problem, right? I just rushed over to her. I grabbed her, and I just kind of brought her to safety as the car was braking. Right, it was kind of scary. It was like a little adrenaline rush, right? 
And then this lady comes out of the car, and she starts saying stuff in English. I'm not really sure what she's saying. But I, I understood one thing. She said, you're a hero. And I was like, yes, I am. That's right. That's right, right? I understood that much. I felt good, right? Say it again, right? And, and, and then we went back home. And, you know, the other kids told, you know, the, 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 the little girl's parents what I had done. And they were like, oh, you're such a good son. Some of my parents were like, oh, your son, he's so great. I'm like, yes, tell me more, right? Like, really enjoying this, right? And, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know why, why I did what I did. It wasn't with any kind of intentionality. It was like reflex. But then something happened. This little girl started, like, following me around. You know, we had, like, little Clementine. She's like, bringing me a Clementine. And she's just following me. I'm trying to go to the bathroom. She wants to follow me. I'm like, no, you stay here, right? Leave me alone. And it's like the whole day, she just wants to be near me. And it was weird because she's only like three or four. She's so little. But something inside of her knew that I had done something really nice for her. And so she wanted to, I don't know, be around me. She wanted to do something for me. And even a little girl can think that way. But think about it what we have received. Think about who we were, sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins with no hope, children of wrath, condemned to die, to hell for all eternity. And think about what Christ has done for us and who we now are in Christ, sinners saved by grace, who were God's work of art, His workmanship, His masterpiece. And so then, when I realized this, how can I not say, Lord, my life is yours. Here I am. Use me. Send me. I want to live a life of good works. I want to live a life that brings glory and honor and praise to you. And I want my life truly to be a witness for Christ. And I hope that is my desire and your desire today. And I hope that as we look, think about our identity in Christ every day, we would just worship the Lord. Praise Him, thank Him, and give Him glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for You are so good. We praise Your name. Father, we think about who we were, hopeless, dead, children of wrath. We think about what Christ has done for us. Think about Your grace. We think about who we now are in Christ. And we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanks. Help us to never forget these things, but to be reminded of these things every day. And help us to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. Help me to live for your glory. For your glory alone. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.